This episode of To The Point is sponsored by Tarsus. Tarsus Pharmaceuticals applies proven science and new technology to revolutionize treatment for patients, starting with eye care. Tarsus is advancing its pipeline to address several diseases with high unmet need across a range of therapeutic categories, including eye care, dermatology, and infectious disease prevention. Tarsus is proud to announce that Xdemvi Lotolaner Ophthalmic Solution 0.25% is now available to prescribe. Support for this podcast is provided by TearCare, a product of Sight Sciences. TearCare is a device that applies heat to the eyelids where the current medical community recommends the application of a warm compress to the eyelids. Applications include meibomian gland dysfunction, MGD, dry eye, or blepharitis. Ocular surface disease. It's complex, chronic, and progressive, but rife with opportunity for the enterprising optometrist. The mission of this podcast is to make this condition more understandable and accessible to those interested in specializing in it. So let's get to the point. Welcome to another episode of the To The Point Podcast. My name is Jackie Garlick, and I am joined by my co-host, Leslie O'Dell. And we are very excited to have a guest with us today, Dr. Art Epstein, who is originally from New York and received his degree from SUNY, where he was also the college's first resident in ocular disease. He relocated to Phoenix and also co-founded Phoenix Eye Care, and he heads up the practice's Dry Eye Ocular Surface Disease Center and serves as its director of clinical research. Um, Unless you have not paid at all any attention to optometry publications, um, Dr. Epstein is very active in the profession. He's a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry. He is a distinguished practitioner of the National Academies of Practice. He's a diplomat of the American Board of Certification in medical optometry is a member of the American and Arizona Optometric Association and past chair of the AOA contact lens and cornea section. He is a prolific author who has published hundreds of articles, scientific papers, and book chapters. Dr. Epstein, we are so happy to welcome you to the podcast. And we were speaking a little bit before we were on an ad board together a while back. And I'm just really excited that we can meet again for this podcast. So it's a real pleasure having you here. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Actually, I'm, I'm equally excited. Uh, although listening to my, uh, to my bio makes me very, very tired. <laughs> I think, I think, right, wait a minute, I do all that stuff. I, I, I need a nap, but no, I'm, I'm excited enough. It's I'm kind of over, uh, over the nap, uh, the nap mode. Uh, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be able to share uh, whatever insight you like with your, with your audience. Um, and also insight um, is that, you know, art um, has been very um influential, I would say, to my own career. Um, And I'm sure you remember, and I talk about it quite often, but I read one of his articles years ago and emailed him and he said, you should just give me a call. And so I remember like even just being on the back porch of my house, like talking to Art Epstein and thinking like, this is really weird. But um, he gave me great advice. Um, At that time, I was trying to get more involved in dry eye and he said, if you want people to know who you are, write articles. And so I took your advice and um, I would have to say thank you. <laughs> and, and, and here you are actually quite successful and, and very well known. Uh, you know, one of the great 
uh, pleasures. I and, mean, you know, I, I was searching for, for the word and pleasure really is the right word, uh, is I've had the uh, good fortune of having a, a, a number of younger ODs uh, reach out to me, Mule Burgett, Dave Kading, and uh, I can go on and on, which I won't, but, uh, and I've had the opportunity to say, hey, you know, I've gone through a lot of this uh, myself and, you know, here's some insight that, you know, I think will make it easier for you to get where you want to go. And uh, when you have that kind of drive that you want to share your knowledge and, and educate, you know, for me, facilitating that has been like, you know, an incredible you know, pleasure and an honor because, you know, look at you and, you know, look at a lot of other, uh, other folks, you know, Jackie and, uh, I mean, you know, I, I, there's a Yiddish expression called kvelling, you know, it's like your chest swells up with pride when you see like, you know, all of these young people uh, really making, uh, making it big, if you will, uh, in, you know, in, in educating our colleagues and becoming really relevant and making a difference for patients as well. So it's, it's, it's that part of it's been amazing. Well, good. We're, we're very happy to have you and have your knowledge for, uh, for us today, because one of the topics we do want to cover is what do we do with this dry eye patient that, you know, you, we can start treatment on this patient. What do we do with the patient that does not get better? We're trying this treatment. We're trying that treatment. We do this, we do that. And they just are not, they're not improving. Like, how do you, can you walk me through like your thought process on how you handle those patients and, um, rethink those case those cases. That's 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 actually a great question, and you know, and for better or worse, I spend a, a good part of my uh, what should be downtime thinking about things just like that. In other words, like, hmm, why isn't this working? How can I make it better? Why? How does it work? Uh, I think um, the fundamental problem in managing these failures uh, really is a failure to uh, understand all of the aspects of what we're dealing with. In other words, I think we, uh, as a community, approach dry eye in a very piecemeal way, if you, if, you, know, you want to describe it in, uh, you know, in simple terms. In other words, a uh, patient comes in, you say, well, you know, I'm going to put the patient on uh, an anti-inflammatory. I'm going to use you know, Restasis or I'm going to use Zydra or uh, the patient has myobomian gland dysfunction and we make the, the diagnosis and, uh, and we go, okay, you know, uh, I'm going to give them warm compresses and, and massage. And then the patient fails. Uh, and uh, we think, okay, so I've done this, I've done that, instead of thinking what was wrong with the patient in a more holistic sense. Uh, more uh, obvious to me than, than ever now is that dry eye is not only an erroneous term, you know, because most patients who, who have dry eye don't really have dry eyes. They have tears that don't do the job they're supposed to do, but it is a complex, um, multi-layered, active puzzle. It's, you know, at least three, if not four dimensions in time being uh, among them. And if you can understand uh, how things function, in other words, if you look at the original intent of the systems that maintain the ocular surface, and then uh, you uh, see how they're, they're, they're engineered in order to function. In other words, like, why do we have reflex tears? The reason why we have reflex tears is very simple. We didn't have manicurists or nail files or nail clippers and, and hand washing stations when uh, we were cave people. So if we stuck our finger in our eye and scratched our cornea, we'd lose the eye and, and that wasn't very good. So it was selected highly against and we were built or ended up evolving or however you want to look at it with the ability to have this beautiful saline wash to wash something that got in our eye away instead of us putting our fingers in our eye. So if you understand, okay, that's how that system works. So understanding how the systems work is, is critically important. If you or prescribing something. Let's take uh, uh, an omega-3. I think most of us would agree that omega-3s are 
critical elements in managing most patients who have meibomian gland dysfunction, which is most patients. Uh, it, the question is, you know, what is it that omega-3s do? You know, you, you can say, you can use, you know, lip service to say, oh, the anti-inflammatory and, you know, they're, you know, they're good for, you know, tissue integrity and, and you know, whatever. Uh, the reality is uh, omega-3s are the building block, specifically EPA, in, in my opinion, is the building block for mybum production. So if you uh, have an eye that's deficient uh, in, EPA, or I should say, my 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 bomian gland that's deficient in EPA, uh, the my bomian gland is going to struggle to produce uh, my bum. So when I prescribe EPA, uh, or rather when I prescribe omega threes, I'm doing it intentionally, and knowing that I'm trying to give the glands access to more EPA so they can convert them into my bum. Uh, likewise, when I'm treating a patient with an anti-inflammatory, I try to understand why I'm using not that the eye is inflamed, but why is the eye inflamed? What specifically is inflamed? Is it because the patient's um, normal systems of maintaining function have failed or is it because the patient has an autoimmune disease? So, you know, when I look at dry eye, I look at it as a failure to maintain homeostatic control is the essence of the equation in dry eye. So uh, a normally functioning eye is an eye that has numerous interacting, interleaving, interwoven mechanisms to maintain function. Produce too little mybum, you'll produce excess gel forming mucins to stabilize the tears. So, understanding that, I'm always looking to um, come up with ideas and understand how those things work uh, to improve function and stability. So, let's say the patient is on my uh, foundational treatment, which is an omega 3, hypochlorous acid, and so on, and they don't do well. Then I'm kind of looking at why they're not doing well. Are they being compliant? You know, is the patient actually taking what I've prescribed? And I go to extremes to, you know, to to ensure that, uh, give them checklists and things of that sort. Um, is the patient, uh, does they need more? You know, maybe they're not getting enough omega-3. Maybe they're the odd person who needs, you know, four instead of three caps. Uh, is inflammation a significant factor? You know, are their eyes red? Um, when they get up in the morning, is that the worst time of day for them? Have I missed that? You know, because that's a very common uh, finding. So uh, I kind of go back and look at the, the situation holistically and go, okay, so here's what I'm using. Here's what, you know, I think they need uh, and it's not working the way it should. What am I doing wrong? What did I miss? What do I need to do to make them better is kind of my, my mantra. Uh, and then we get to procedures, but I don't know if you want to get to procedures yet, but then we get to procedures when, you know, more simple conservative therapy doesn't work. So I just would say, you know, I think that's some really great insight. I feel like maybe sometimes we don't even give patients enough time on a foundational therapy before we call it a failure. Um, so I'd be interested to know, you know, what's your typical return to office when you have a patient that you're starting on, you know, say say somebody who you're putting on anti-inflammatory and does that look different from somebody that you're treating MGD and you're doing, you know, nutritional supplements with omega-3 therapy? Yeah, that, that's actually, that's a great question because you can, you can undermine your own success uh, by not having a good understanding of what you're doing uh, and, and how it works and how long it takes to work. Uh, so what, one of the things that I think happens is over time, you really get a good sense of the tools you're using and how they function. So, you know, for an omega-3, I'm expecting six to eight weeks. So we typically, we'll see a patient back in six to eight weeks if that's the, that's the course I'm following. Uh, if, uh, if it's an anti-inflammatory, depending on the anti-inflammatory, if it's uh, lifidograss, uh, it's really active uh, quickly. So, you know, we're looking at 
you know, within a month, I'm expecting reduction of symptoms and two months, uh, some, some minor uh, improvement in signs. Uh, if I don't get that at that point, I may stay the course. Uh, if the patient is having uh, adverse um, experiences from the intervention, from the medication, you know, for example, bad aftertaste and it's annoying to them and they're not getting better, I'll, I'll discontinue it. Um, I'm also always, I think the, the, the most important thing is when you have a patient back at that preset time that would be you know, optimal for seeing the effect of what you've done, uh, talk to them, ask them you know, what, they, what, what their experience is. You know, patients are, I always tell the patient, you're the most sensitive instrument in the office that we have, and we have an array. I mean, we have a ton of you know technology in the office, and we're always getting new technology. I mean, literally have every expression device you know known to man. Uh, don't use them all all the time, but you know certainly have access to it. Uh, but by far, uh, the patient will will literally uh, if you're if you're listening to them. Uh, you know, they'll tell you what's wrong. If they say, you know, my eye, you know, feeling much better, I don't have the pain, uh, but my eyes are burning. I'm thinking staph uh, overgrowth and lipase production, which is causing saponification. So they're getting soap in their eye. So I'm kind of looking at the lids a little bit more closely. Um, you know, if a patient starts off really uh, in bad shape, you know, they've lost a good percentage of their glands, uh, they're obstructed, there's inflammation, there's uh, signs of ocular rosacea, telangiectetic vessels. I'm recommending uh, IPL early on. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be proactive, but at the same time, I'm trying to be uh, reactive to the patient's experience. So I think that that aspect, um, you know, is, is important. So um, how do you handle, like, so I, I um, you have this foundational treatment that you'll start a patient on, and then let's say that you've given it appropriate amount of time and you feel like this is a failure, it's not actually working and you're gonna take the next step, whether this is um, you know, thermal therapy or whatever the next step is. Can you actually, I'm actually curious how your foundational is, what your next step is, and then your next step. Like it's, you know, you're like, what are your tiers on when you're treating a patient? And then I'm also wondering is when you get to that top tier and we've got no other therapies that you have in mind as far as treatment, if a patient is still not improving, like where do you go? What's your what's your thought process there? Great. Actually, you're, you're forcing me to think, which is good. They actually, actually kind of unravel my thinking. You know, what's actually funny is there's a Zen to this. I know, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but uh, and I tell this to patients, I go, you know, if, if I take a look at you and I talk to you for a couple of minutes, I review the data, you know, your myography and uh, interferometry and so on, and I know exactly what's going on, chances are fairly high, this will be straightforward and you'll have no issue. If I get confused by something and it doesn't quite fit, I you'll end up okay, I promise, because I don't give up, but I'll learn something in the process. And so every patient is an opportunity to, to, to learn something. So I actually love the patient that comes back and they're not doing what I expect them to do. It's like, you know, wait, wait a minute, why, why are you not, why are you not better? Uh, so typically I am conservative by nature. So my foundational therapy is, you know, relatively straightforward, probably similar to everyone else's. Uh, I'm a big believer in triglyceride-based omega-3s. Everybody gets that. I'm a big believer in hypochlorous acid for a number of reasons, you know, reduced bacterial overpopulation, decreased saponification, uh, decreased inflammation, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, I don't go to, I do try other things. You know, I, I'm not going to mention names of products that, you know, uh, your listeners are probably familiar with because I don't want to say negative things about products made by friends, but I've tried pretty much everything and give it a chance. If it doesn't work, I kind of don't throw it away. You know, it's still on the sidelines. And if 
everything else seems to be failing, I'll go to that. Uh, but when we see, you know, when I, when I see failure, I go, okay, so foundational stuff isn't working. I'll go to procedures um, typically. And, uh, and again, the reason why is because generally I have success when I do that, you know, so I, I already know what I'm going to be successful with under certain circumstances. So I follow those patterns if the, if the breadcrumbs lead me in that direction. And so let's say uh, I've decided I'm going to use IPL. So we'll do, you know, four treatments. Uh, you know, we have actually two IPLs in the office. Uh, we have a, an Optum M22 uh, by Luminous. And we have a Luminous new OptiLite. Uh, and uh, a lot of patients, I would say females, 95% will show significant improvement. Uh, and males, probably about 80, 85% will show significant improvement after four treatments. Sometimes we do a fifth treatment because not everybody is created equal in terms of their response. Uh, you know, the adjustment of the IPL, again, is kind of a Zen experience. You know, I start out using the traditional uh, fits, uh, you know, guide, uh, fits skin grading uh, uh, guides, but then I'll kind of riff off of that. And let's say we get to the point where the patient is still having problems then I'm going, okay, you know, I, why did I miss? And then I go back to everything is under central control. Literally everything is under central control. Even reflex steering is under central control, which is why we cry at, at sad movies because the brain gets involved in the middle of that, you know, even though it's designed to be a reflex uh, immediate reaction to wash something away. Uh, and so I check corneal sensitivity if I haven't already. And I'm starting to think that maybe I should be checking corneal sensitivity on every patient. The amount of neurotropic keratitis that we see in dry eye patients is actually quite stunning and often overlooked. Uh, and with the advent of Oxervate, uh, we've taken severe dry eye patients that have converted over to classical neurotrophic keratitis and brought them back through the journey to NK, to dry eye and out of dry eye on the other side. So uh, sometimes we'll do that. Uh, we have uh, a new device called the iTier 100, uh, which I think is the most viable of all of the auto-controlled um, tear-stimulating devices on the market. It's still in development. Uh, the next generation, I think, is you know not far off. Uh, and it gives patients the ability to control production of complete tearing. Now, to me, that's almost like a, uh, a, a functional artificial tear. Artificial tears are, you know, really one of the silliest things in the world. You know, we said, oh, your eyes are dry. So here's a bottle of wet, you know, how we ever got off on that craziness. I don't know, because that doesn't really, it solves nothing other than dilutes natural tears, which actually are hum helpful. But this is actually, if you've, if you've ever tested that or used one of those things, it's held up against your nose. It's a small little device and, you know, it, it vibrates in a specific frequency. And suddenly your eyes are welled up with natural tears. I mean, if you look on a slit lamp and watch a patient, you can literally see my bum uh, coming out of the, of the orifices. It's you know, quite remarkable. So I'm kind of excited about that. Uh, so we have, you know, we have lots of things to do. And sometimes it's, you know, you kind of realize you've just stepped in a hole and you have to pull yourself out of the hole. Sometimes you can prevent stepping in the hole where you don't have those, you know, uh, I'm, I don't know what's going on moments. But I've, in the last, since COVID uh, hit, I don't think I've had a patient where I feel, um, you know, that helpless feeling. Of, I don't know what to do. I've done everything I can. I think we've, we've managed to um, address almost, not, not everything, because we're still learning, but almost all of these complex patients. And by the way, the, the last thing I'll say about that, one of the reasons why is in this area, there's really no one to send them to. 
you know, when you become it, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you have to, and that suddenly the pressure of that, you know, like, you know, in New York, I had, you know, colleagues I can get other opinions from. Uh, thankfully, I have a young associate who's great. And I, I know there, are, I'm sure there are other people in the Phoenix area who I, who I could consult with, but, you know, just haven't, uh, you know, created those relationships. But for the most part, um, you know, they, <laughs> When the patient is really like, oh, I've seen eighteen doctors. <laughs> you're the, you're it. Uh, oh, great, thanks. <laughs> this episode of To the Point is sponsored by Tarsus. Tarsus Pharmaceuticals applies proven science and new technology to revolutionize treatment for patients, starting with eye care. Tarsus is advancing its pipeline to address several diseases with high unmet need across a range of therapeutic categories, including eye care, dermatology, and infectious disease prevention. Tarsus is proud to announce that Xdemvi Lotolaner Ophthalmic Solution 0.25% is now available to prescribe. Can you talk a little bit about that I tier 100? Because that's a newer device. I don't have any experience with it. I'm, I, could you just talk a little bit like how often a patient will use that and um, you know, like how you obtain that device for a patient? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's actually, uh, it's really a extremely limited distribution. I was uh, actually at a, um, at a, a luminous event with Laura Perryman uh, and she looked at me and she said, Oh, your eyes look terrible. It's just when I'm at meetings and things, that's not uncommon. As Leslie can tell you, she's seen you know, she's seen my red eyes many times, uh, and um, uh, she said, you know, hey, you know, try this. And she's so bubbly and enthusiastic. She pulls this thing out of her bag, and uh, you know, and I and she says, just hold it over here, and I'm like, and I go, whoa, you know, it, it's you know, kind of shocking uh, because you know you're you're taking your trigeminal nerve. It's it's like a cross between pulling a nose hair and, and inhaling snuff and God knows what else at the same time. I mean, not quite as shocking, but amazingly, you know, the most impressive thing about it is your eyes suddenly are wet. And even more amazing, my acuity, uh, you know, it was 2020, you know, it was typical 2020. I, and I guess like, you know, we used to say during the, the LASIK uh, uh not very effective technology days. Oh, 2020 is not important. 20 happy is important. Well, this was 20 really happy because I was, I think I was probably about 2010. I mean, my acuity became like insane because my tear foam had become like an iron shield of refractive perfection. Uh, and it was like startling. It was like literally startling. And I felt better for, you know, probably a you know, good two, three hours. Uh, and uh, I've spoken to the inventor. He's a surgeon in California. Uh, they have very, very limited distribution. I, I don't think, yeah, and, and the problem is the FDA has approved it for only one month at a time, so it has to be sent back. So it, it is somewhat unwieldy in terms of its uh, utilization. The next generation will be um, resettable via Bluetooth with the doctor being able to reinstitute the prescription. And I think you'll probably hear a lot more about that you know, soon, uh, you know, to me, anything that gives patients control, I sue this, another great example, uh, the patient has in their hand, a little bottle when they're having a flare, when they're absolutely miserable, they can control it, you know, and, and these patients, one of the problems they have is they're out of control, you know, so giving them something that puts them back in control is actually quite impressive. I think that you, you, you said it very well when you talked about all the, you know, pitfalls that you might have had once with dry eye and what really has been nice to see is just how companies have really been 
doing due diligence, doing the research and really helping to fill the unmet need. Um, because I would, I would agree with you. Some of the things that I now know a lot about, I learned by chance, like Demodex, for example, in 2012, I didn't really know a lot about Demodex, but I was treating my bone gland dysfunction. And when I would put them through certain um, clearing treatments and then their symptoms would come back more suddenly, I was looking differently at their lid and, you know, kind of uncover Demodex in, in my patients. Um, but now I think that the companies also do a really good job of educating, you know, the, us, the, the dry eye people, but also all of the optometrists and ophthalmologists out there that are willing to, to listen. And I've been learning a lot about this whole, you know, the nervous system and even just basal tear secretion and things you never really were that I don't remember learning in school that 34% of your tears come from just breathing air through your nose. Like, I didn't remember that. <laughs> so it's been, it's been really exciting to see where technology and um, research has gone to help us not have so many pitfalls. You know, when, when I first opened the practice in Phoenix, I had this, this idea and a very understanding wife, you know, I think she thought I was insane, but she said, Oh yeah, you want to do dry eye. That's yeah, sure. And you know, in the beginning uh, there weren't enough patients to, you know, fill the whole day. So I would do, you know, routine uh, care, but Probably after about a year, I started, you know, uh, yelling, not yelling at the staff, but saying, hey, you know, no more routine patients, no more routine patients. Uh, and now I just see uh, dry eye patients. But I go back to uh, when we first opened the office, I didn't understand why no one in Phoenix was doing dry eye. My first, my first assumption was I'd be competing with a million people for a small number of patients or a moderate number of patients. Uh, but the reality was that there was this massive unmet need because nobody wanted to deal with dry eye patients because they always fail. You know, we had so few things to do and who wants to deal with one of those annoying patients who never gets better? You know, of course me, like, you know, that's kind of my nature, I guess, you know, I, I like self-flagellation. And, um, you know, frankly, uh, when we started uh, out, there was nothing. I mean, we had restasis, you know, we had artificial tears, a variety of them. Lipoflow uh, was around, I, you know, we incorporated that almost immediately. Uh, and, and that was it, there was, there was really nothing else and to your point, Wesley, it's incredible how many companies have uh, stepped up and uh, gotten involved in this area, seen it as a massive opportunity to make a difference in patients' lives. I think many of our colleagues don't realize that this literally turns people's lives upside down. I mean, this is, you know, I have people crying in the office, sobbing, you know, their, their lives have been so miserable. Uh, sometimes they're, they're ahead of the curve. You know, I had a, a very bright young lady who's like one of the you know, head HR people for Intel the other day, and she was in her 20s, late 20s, and she, you know, was already suffering. She was, you know, able to see what was going uh, going to happen and, you know, uh, in intervened and, you know, was very much into the self-help scene and so on. So, um, you know, the companies have been phenomenal with supporting education, with providing new products, innovating, uh, and I think uh, someone getting out of school now who's interested in, in dry eye, you know, thinks, oh, this is great. We have all these tools. We didn't have those tools 10 years ago. I mean, this has been, you know, a fairly recent development. Can you comment on the patients that are non-compliant? Like we all want our patients to take omega-3s and do hypochlor and all of that. But what, what do you do with the patient who comes back and is like, yeah, I haven't been doing that. And they're obviously not better. How do you, what's that conversation like with that patient? First of all, before you answer, it's always interesting that that patient that is non-compliant has come back. <laughs> they do. That's even another part of the puzzle to me. Yes. You know, what's interesting is, 
I find that they do come back, but usually they come back, uh, you know, later on when they, they, they've already gotten themselves into deeper trouble. You know, they need that, you know, that second warning, like, you know, that klaxon going off and they go, okay, maybe, maybe this, this person was right. Maybe the doctor was right. Um, I know it's interesting when I started again, when I started out, you know, I don't want to sound like a, uh, this is only within really the last, you know, uh, 10 years or so when we opened a practice. So, you know, this is recent experience. Uh, I, I was, you know, typically in a lazy New York uh, doctor transplanted to very hot Phoenix. Uh, and uh, I would tell people what to do and had the delusion that if I told them what to do, they would do it, you know, because New Yorkers think that uh, if you actually say something to someone that they'll actually listen to you, which of course they never do anyway. So I would say, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do this and I want you to do that. And I went and I took a, a little sticky pad, you know, a little typical sticky pad. And I'd write out, blah, blah, get this here, get this there. I didn't want to carry any of these things because it was a pain in the rear. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to do clinical care, not the other aspects of it. And uh, the patient would come back in six to eight weeks. And I say, oh, so how, how are you doing? And they go, eh, no, terrible, terrible. You know, no, no improvement at all. No, no, nothing. Not, no, just maybe worse, maybe worse. So I go, uh, are you taking the omega-3? And they, and they go, what, what omega-3? And I go, well, you know, I, we talked about it. You know, I talked about triglycerides versus avalasters. I, you know, I'm very big on education, by the way, you know, so when you, when you mentioned uh, reflex tears before versus basal tears, every one of my patients, I tell them you're going to get a PhD in dry eye because, you know, sometimes you have to tone it down because they, you know, they just don't have the bandwidth to fully understand it. But I think the more you give them and the more you can relate it to their life experience, like, you know, structure of the basal tears, structure of a house, I always use that analogy. But I discovered that the uh, genius idea that I had of using a sticky pad wasn't working. Apparently it wasn't sticking. Uh, so I came out with a pre-printed checklist uh, which has been modified, you know, I don't know, God knows how many times, you know, probably 20 or 30 times as I've discovered new things and, you know, uh, refined my, my procedures. And I go over that with them. So the end of the exam is, you know, is, is at least, you know, five to 10 minutes of reviewing, not only what I want them to use, but why I want them to use it. Uh, and believe it or not, the compliance uh, rate is extremely high. I mean, uh, I'm talking, you know, 95% initially. It tapers off and probably goes to, you know, 60, 70% over, over time. Uh, and those are the patients that end up coming back in a year or in eight months or something where they're, where they're having trouble again. Uh, because at the end, when I'm done, I like patients to be, when I let them go for an entire year, I want them to be stable and, and doing well. So I think uh, ensuring compliance is a matter of giving them very specific directions, something that they could take with them. And it's not, you know, I know, uh, you know, Oculus came up with a, something where you could print out like 80,000 page forms. Patients don't want 80,000 page forms because what they can do is put them in the garbage. You know, they want a single sheet that they could put on the refrigerator or something of that sort that they can refer to uh, and then reference it again. Uh, I'm thinking of actually having a follow-up sheet as well, just to you know, kind of reinforce that. But I think that plus education empowers them to follow directions and they create, it creates a bond. Uh, I, I, sh I probably shouldn't share this, but uh, probably about a year ago, it's a good ending, I think, uh, two years ago, I said to Shannon, who's my uh, associate and wife uh, and puts up with me, I said, I don't understand it. I mean, I am taking these patients that in a million years, if you asked me 10 years ago, 15 years ago, would I be able to help them with this work? Uh, I would have thought you were crazy. And these patients are all doing well. I literally, it's the most incredible thing. 
She says, I know. I said, I don't understand how I'm doing it. She looked at me and she said, you're a Svengali. So I said, what? She said, yes, you're a Svengali. You spend a lot of time talking to the patient and you convince them that they can actually get better and you give them the steps to do it. But by convincing them that they can get better, they actually do get better. They have a path to getting better. And I think that's probably the best advice I can give everyone. Believe in yourself, believe in your ability to make a difference in someone's life. Always measure your success or failure by the outcome of the patient. It's not about you, it's about the patient. And now for the to the point wrap up. Dry eye disease is very complex. Your nervous system and immune system are constantly regulating the balance of the tears to maintain homeostasis. When homeostasis breaks down, that's the challenge of our job, to figure out where that breakdown's coming and how best to implement your strategies to improve the outcomes for the patients. Listening to your patients will also help to guide your treatments. When all else fails, reach out to a mentor much like Art Epstein, someone who's been in the trenches doing the work for some time. We're here for each other. Let's not forget that.